emailer writes in, did you make a deal with the devil for all your prognostications to come true? Yes, it's interesting. It is interesting. It's, it's been an interesting week. Let's put it that way. Jordy Nelson tears his ACL, opening up a spot on the depth chart for Jeff Janis to start receiving meaningful snaps and targets. Start the ascension early. That happened this weekend. Now, Martavis Bryant, a player that I've been cautious about, warning people about. Don't over-extrapolate. Don't get too excited. Don't get over-exuberant about a player with 50 targets in his career. Slow down. And now he's slowed himself down by getting suspended for four games. I was right! No, not really. Really wasn't right at all. Just stuff happens. Would have been much better if he went out and, like last year, didn't receive a full snap share and was highly inefficient and inconsistent. Then I would have been right. But I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of all this. Certainly, it seems like I made a deal with the gods and lightning is striking down all these players that I've been cautious about, that I've been warning you about. But I don't like it. I didn't want it to go down this way. I wanted to be right for the right reasons. But I also wanted the people that I've disagreed with to be wrong. Let's not forget about that one. It's not just about me being right. I also want others to be wrong. Yes, I am selfish. But now everyone gets a pass. Tabla rasa. No one's wrong. Everyone can just look back at the suspension and then that's the excuse and we're moving on. No one's wrong. Because I wanted to have a conversation about why we arbitrarily decide whether or not to take training camp news and training camp depth charts into account when we're publishing our player rankings. And now we don't have the opportunity to use the Pittsburgh Steelers depth chart and the Pittsburgh Steelers player news as an instructive example. But it's funny, you read the analysis after this Martavis Bryant suspension. And while we know that Jeff Janis continues to be billed as the number four receiver on the Green Bay Packers, even after Jordy Nelson got hurt, right? Right? The amazing thing that I'm reading is that Martavis Bryant is still number two after being suspended. Martavis Bryant is the Teflon receiver of the NFL. Oh, yes. And people are still holding firm. Smart people. I just read a tweet from Mike Clay saying you should go out and get Martavis Bryant. Make sure you're stashing him because when he comes back from his suspension, he will be a top 30 receiver. So just continue to draft him and just stash him for the first four games. Don't worry. He's still their number two receiver. Don't worry, everybody. This is just a blip. It's a bump in the road. Four games. It's nothing. It's just a month. It's nothing. Pretty soon it'll be October and he'll be back. Oh, like it never happened. What about Jeff Janis? No, no, no. Number four receiver. Ignore. Ignore. Weird. Just weird. We're supposed to draft Martavis Bryant with confidence, but not Jeff Janis. Okay. Okay. Fine. I, I give up. Honestly, my hands are up in the air at this point. You can see them. They're up in the air. Uh, I'm like, really? How does that work? Well, because technically, according to the Green Bay depth chart that I read on the GreenBayPackers.com website, and according to the Beat reporters from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel and other people around the Green Bay Packers organization. Jeff Janis is technically their number four receiver. That's why. But Martavis Bryant is technically the number three receiver 
for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Does that matter? No, it doesn't matter. We love Martavis Bryant. We love his upside. We love his athleticism. We love his 2014 efficiency. In that case, we're arbitrarily deciding to override what the media has been reporting, that Marcus Whedon is, in fact, the number two receiver. We're ignoring that. We're ignoring the publicly available depth chart that the team published in the case of the Steelers. But in the case of the Green Bay Packers, what's been published and what the media is saying is gospel. Right. Got it. Okay. And I'm actually more fine with projecting Martavis Bryant to be productive when he returns. I'm not disagreeing with that necessarily even. I'm just objecting to the inconsistency of the approach. Because I don't take the team published depth charts as gospel either. When I'm projecting targets and fantasy production into 2015, no, of course not. We've talked about this before. The politics and the motivational tactics that go into these published depth charts, highly irrational. And it doesn't account for athleticism and ability helping a player rise during the season and usurp other players that are higher than them on the preseason depth chart. Happens all the time. If we were creating rankings based on training camp depth charts, last year I would have had Jarrett Boinkin and his 47440 ahead of Devontae Adams. And that wouldn't have made sense. But that's what the depth chart said. But that's not how I rank the players because I know the NFL is a meritocracy at its core. It tries its best to be this tribal warrior culture. But at the end of the day, it's a capitalist enterprise and it's a meritocracy. And usually talent and athleticism rise. And sometimes it's a slow ascent, like with Charles Johnson. Took him a whole half a season, even more, more than half a season, to finally ascend to a full-time role as a starting wide receiver. Sometimes it's instantaneous, like with Odell Beckham. Just like plugging in an appliance. Just on immediately. Just plugging in a blender. He hit the scene after returning from his hamstring injury like a loose electrical wire. It was amazing. Charles Johnson was more of a slow burn. Okay. But those are two examples of why I pay precious little attention to training camp news. If you drafted all your rosters based on the training camp news in 2014, you would have drafted Jarrett Boinkin over Odell Beckham, and that wouldn't have made any sense. Talent and ability eventually win the day, except in the case of rookie late-round picks and undrafted rookie free agents. In those particular cases, Jeff Janis last year, for example, Terrell Watson this year with the Cincinnati Bengals. In those cases, the draft capital investment by the team, the fact that they've invested very little in that player, will override his talent in year one. Banish that player to the bottom of the bench, the end of the bench, or the practice squad. First rounders, on the other hand, in year one, like Odell Beckham, they get the benefit of the doubt. Even when they're coming back from injury, the moment they're active, they are given an opportunity because they are first-round picks. The organization has a lot invested in them. They want to see what they have. They want to drive their sports car. That makes sense. But once a receiver or any player, any skill position player, not just a receiver, but we're talking about receivers in this case, once a receiver gets past year two, his ability becomes the deciding factor whether or not he plays or not. By the time year two rolls around, the value of the draft capital that's been invested has mostly expired. 
No one is talking about Marquise Lee's second round draft capital versus Alan Hearns being undrafted. The bottom line is Alan Hearns has been more productive and efficient and he is now the starting wide receiver opposite Allen Robinson with the Jacksonville Jaguars, not Marquise Lee. In their second or even third year, despite being behind others on the depth chart to start the season, players like Antonio Brown, Victor Cruz, Julian Edelman, Pierre Garçon, Charles Johnson, Miles Austin, I'm sure there's many more that I'm not thinking of, remembering at this moment. It was during their second or third season that these players finally broke through. They finally broke into the lineup and became starters. The only player I can think of who was a late-round pick from a small school who immediately broke into his team's lineup and broke the cycle of discrimination against small school late-round receivers was Marquez Colston. He was the only one that I can remember. But contact the show at Roto Underworld on Twitter or email us rotounderworld at gmail.com. Can you think of any other examples like Marquez Colston? Late-round pick, small school, and was given instantaneous opportunity. It's very rare. Think about Vincent Jackson. Think about Brian Quick. These were second round picks, but they were from small schools. And it took them three years before they could get acclimated, become starters, and truly ascend. Vincent Jackson and Brian Quick started doing it in year two. Vincent Jackson and Brian Quick started doing it actually in year three. Antonio Brown and Victor Cruz did it in year two. It just depends on the player and who's ahead of him on the depth chart. But if you're not a first-round pick, and in particular, if you're from a small school, you have to start at the bottom and work your way up. That's just how it works. But eventually, you will break through. So particularly in Dynasty, Jeff Janis should be a player that you're targeting. And you should be completely ignoring this short-term news cloud that is soiling Jeff Janis's reputation because number one it's unfair and number two it's irrelevant in terms of his long-term productivity and it's it's not going to impact his lifetime value his lifetime fantasy output very much but let me ask this question Jeff Janis went to Saginaw Valley small school an unheralded player sixth round pick before Jordy Nelson's injury the torn ACL how many number four wide receivers from small schools had troves of preseason stories written about them, featuring micro-criticisms from practice in major publications? How many? Oh, I-, I can answer that. Zero. Jeff Janis is unique in this way, that everyone wants to talk about him. Everyone has an opinion about him. And when there is anything written about him, it becomes headline news, and I don't understand why. I like him. We've talked about why I like him on this show, but it's it's not like I have a huge audience. It's not like I'm Howard Stern or Colin Coward or even Matthew Barry. If you're listening to this show, you're one of a small number. The show's audience is growing on an almost exponential curve, but the, the total number is still low. Most people that you talk to, even in the fantasy community, have never listened to this show. We had John Paulson on the Football Diehard show on Monday, and he said not only has he never listened to the Football Diehards podcast or Roto Underworld Radio, he didn't even follow me on Twitter. So why is Jeff Janis a topic of conversation? Why is he the target of these micro-critiques 
from practice. It's weird. It's weird. The Packers beat reporters are reporting on his practice reps. Take a step back. Think about how weird that is. Am I the only person who finds this whole notion stunning? Because Jerron Brown is currently operating as the number three wide receiver for the Arizona Cardinals in practice. And has that been reported? No, because no one's paying attention. Nobody cares. Why do people care so much about Jeff Janis? And then turn around and bother me about him. Just knowing that I have an affinity for him, bother me about him. Whole thing is weird. Why can't he just remain under the radar and I can just love him? quietly to myself and on the show with this Roto Underworld audience that I love so much? Why can't we just have him as our thing that we just quietly root for? Why has he been propelled into the public discourse and become this polarizing figure? It's weird to me. It's truly stunning if you think about it. And where we are right now is we are anxiously waiting for observations after every Packers practice. From the beat reporters watching practice from lawn chairs through a chain-link fence. Reporting the goings-on at Packers practice as facts. Who started with the ones? Was it Ty Montgomery? Where did he line up? Oh, let's report this. Let's all talk about this. It's exciting. It's not exciting. It's nothing. It's a non-story. Jeff Janis just dropped a pass. (gasps) Ooh, he dropped that pass. Let's take that nugget. And use that as a starting point to write an article. We'll go out and we'll ask the coach, the wide receiver coach, questions about why Janice isn't making as many plays in practice as he did during minicamp. That'll be our first question. See what he has to say. Yes. Weird. It's just, I do. I feel like there is a clear. And I sound, I know I sound like a kook. I sound like a kooky guy who has this conspiracy theory about my favorite player. And I I get it. I I know how I sound. I do. I have self-awareness. I know how this sounds. But I wonder, is there an anti-Jeff Janis bias driving the news reports from Packers training camp? Driving the entire Devontae Adams and Ty Montgomery are the players to own narrative. I saw this tweet. Green Bay practice play of the day. This exists. The play of the day from practice exists. It was tweeted out by the official Twitter account for the Green Bay Packers. The play of the day was achieved by quarterback Brett Hundley. Hundley was showered with superlatives for this throw that he made. Great throw. Excellent ball. And it was a full extension catch by Jeff Janis. That's beside the point. It was a great throw. Brett Hundley is really developing. Such a great ball. Play of the day. What about the full extension catch by Janus? The narrative is that Jeff Janus is raw. He has things to work on. This is about Brett Hundley's throw. It's not about that high degree of difficulty, full extension catch by Jeff Janus. Nope. No, that wasn't, that wasn't what made that play. It was the throw. Yeah, it was the throw. Yeah. It was the throw that made it great. But I just wonder, how are we getting to this place that practice has a play of the day? And that the things that go on at the Green Bay practice become headlines. Not just a news blurb on Roto World, a Roto World headline. We're talking about practice. I mean, I've lamented this in previous shows. I just can't believe it. It's crazy to me. Let's move on. I'm not going to let Jeff Janis talk consume every show, 100% of every show. That I know some of you are starting to get tired of this 
the Jeff Janis non-story story that I keep bringing up. And I'm sorry. I am. So I apologize. I am like a dog with a bone with this Jeff Janis story, and I apologize. This is my fault. I'm doing a bad job producing my own show. I need to do a better job because there's more to talk about. Because we had a buzzard right in. Buzzard wrote in, Travis Kelsey's ceiling is the top tight end in fantasy. What are you smoking, Mansion? Nothing. I don't smoke. And yes, Travis Kelsey's ceiling is the number one overall tight end in fantasy. And here's why. Because we look at the holistic profile of the player in order to judge what his ceiling is. That includes everything. It includes his stature, his size. It includes his college productivity and efficiency. It, it includes his athleticism. It includes his on-field efficiency. And it includes his projected opportunity the volume of the offense and the prolificness of the offense that he will be playing in and operating in in 2015. All of that matters. And when you holistically review all the criteria that is required for a tight end to be the number one tight end in fantasy, you walk away thinking that Travis Kelsey can achieve that. That is in his range of outcomes. Something like 80 receptions, 1,300 yards, and 12 touchdowns. Travis Kelsey can do that. He has that ability. Almost no other tight end in the league can do that. No matter what situation he's in, no matter how many balls you throw his way, he will never get to 80 receptions, 1,300 yards, and 12 touchdowns. Zach Ertz will never achieve that. It is not in his range of outcomes. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter if he ate an actual Mario Brothers mushroom or was hit by a Mario Brothers star. And got that star power. If that was actually real. What is that movie that came out? That Adam Sandler. That awful looking Adam Sandler movie. Pixels. If there was a movie. If Pixels became real. And Zach Ertz was the star. He still wouldn't get to 80 receptions. And 1300 yards and 12 touchdowns. No. 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 The guys we know that can achieve that level of production. Are Jimmy Graham. And Rob Gronkowski. And now Travis Kelsey. Because if you look at the Travis Kelsey profile, his profile is actually more impressive than Gronkowski's and Jimmy Graham's. It is. Because Travis Kelsey is similar size to those players, 6'5", 260. He was also tremendously productive in college. And not at a D3 school either. At Cincinnati, he achieved a 27.6% dominator rating. That was 84th percentile among tight ends. With a 16.0 yards per reception in college, these are gigantic numbers. 46640 comes out to a 111.1, 83rd percentile height adjusted speed score. His burst score, 77th percentile. His agility score, 64th percentile. His catch radius, 73rd percentile. Ding, 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 ding. There isn't a weakness on the profile. There isn't any metric, any number that you can point to and go, ah, oh, that's a red flag. Uh, that's not up to par. That's a little below average. No. No! What about his on-field efficiency? If you go to playerprofiler.com and you look at his efficiency metrics, production premium, the site's situation agnostic player efficiency metric, Travis Kelsey was 24.5. That was number six in the league. That's a huge number. Number six in production premium. Number three in target premium, plus 56.4%. Another enormous number. Alex Smith was literally more than 50% better off targeting Travis Kelsey than he was any other receiver on 
the Kansas City Chiefs. Let that sink in for a minute. It was everything. It wasn't just the, the great yards per target. It was also the catch rate, 77% catch rate. That's absurd. It's ridiculous. He was number one in the NFL last year in yards after the catch with 511 yards after the catch. He had more yards after the catch than Rob Gronkowski, Jimmy Graham, more than Greg Olson, more than Martellus Bennett. He was number one in the league in yards after the catch. He was number seven in red zone receptions, number nine in red zone target share. So even though his snap share was only at 73% because in the first half of the season, the Kansas City Chiefs did not play Travis Kelsey on an every-down basis. He was only a part-time player, 50% snap share for the first half of the season. Then he achieved 100% snap share in the second half of the season. That comes out to about a 75% snap share for the full season. Even though he wasn't getting a full snap share, he still finished top 10 in the NFL in the various red zone metrics. And he was number one in yards after the catch. Think about that. Now the Kansas City Chiefs offense is going to be more prolific, more efficient. The addition of Jeremy Macklin will help. The addition of Chris Conley will help. The further development and insertion into the lineup of Albert Wilson will help. So they will have more red zone opportunities, more offensive plays, more pass plays. The team only threw the ball. Less than 550 times last year. That was close to league bottom. They will be throwing the ball more. Andy Reid likes to throw the ball. Andy Reid, all else being equal, would rather throw than run. He wants to pass. Andy Reid is wired to throw the ball. And they will. In 2015, the Chiefs will throw more. And when you look at Travis Kelsey's on-field metrics from 2014, you... Plug him into a more prolific offense with a 100% snap share, and the numbers jump. And even if you're worried that he could be like a Martavis Bryant, someone who enjoyed tremendous efficiency with less than a 100% snap share in 2014, I understand that concern. I would share that concern if, like Martavis Bryant, Travis Kelsey wasn't a monster in college, but he was. Unlike Martavis Bryant, Travis Kelsey has a year-over-year-over-year track record of dominance at every level of football that he's played. So I don't have that concern with Travis Kelsey that 2015 will suddenly be the year he falls off the map. I, I see no reason to think that. All I see with Travis Kelsey is an upward trajectory. I see a rocket ship. I see the smoke trailing from the rocket as it rises above the earth. Travis Kelsey is a player. If you look at the, the seasonal efficiency metrics, he's top five to top 10 in every efficiency metric. On his prospect profile, he's close to, if not above, the 75th percentile or above across the board in every metric. The only red flag on the Travis Kelsey profile is his red jersey. His Chiefs jersey is red. That's the only thing red on the Travis Kelsey profile. Everything else is green. Everything else is green right. Oh, it's going to turn yellow. Floor it. Just, you're just flooring through the intersection with Travis Kelsey. You want him on every team, in every league. Dynasty, he's young. Redraft, he's the best value. You want to get him. 
I was ready to go. I was I had him on auto pick. Fourth round, I pick him. His ADP is 48. So he's going right at the transition between round four and round five in every fantasy draft. I was ready to grab him last night in the Roto Underworld Redraft League. Snake draft. I do this in every single league I'm in. Fourth round, auto pick, Travis Kelsey. And I go and have a beer or I go and eat dinner. And I let the computer just grab Travis Kelsey for me. And it's easy. But last night I had a bad feeling. I didn't get up from my desk. The fourth round was here. The fourth round started. I put Travis Kelsey in my draft queue, as I always do, but I didn't walk away because I knew I was playing against members of the Roto Underworld audience, and that's a problem. So that's the first league I didn't get him in last night. Two picks before my fourth round pick, I saw the name Travis Kelsey flash up, and I was devastated. I was mad. I pounded my keyboard. It was it was disheartening. So that's... There's now a league where I don't own Travis Kelsey. So, there it is. It happened. And you might say, well, Gronkowski, he's proven. If you, if you like tight ends, take Gronkowski. You know he's going to be the number one tight end. You don't have to guess. You don't have to take a guy based on his ceiling. Rob Gronkowski is the number one tight end in fantasy. Just take him. Well, no, I'm not just going to take him because he's being drafted in the first round. In the first round, I don't want any tight end. doesn't matter who he is what his reputation is. I don't care if he's a mythological figure like Rob Gronkowski. I'm drafting Des Bryant or Eddie Lacy there. What about Jimmy Graham? He's more proven. No, because where Jimmy Graham is being drafted, I prefer Jordan Matthews or Brandon Cooks or even Joseph Randall. Speaking of ceilings, if you want a player with a high ceiling, you want to draft Joseph Randall. If you're just looking at a valuation of ceiling to ADP, Joseph Randall has the best ratio of any player in fantasy, even better than Travis Kelsey. Yes, he does. Joseph Randall's ceiling is insanely high. Joseph Randall's ceiling is 2,000 all-purpose yards and 15 touchdowns. His ceiling is being a top three fantasy running back. And you get there very quickly when you look at Joseph Randall's prospect profile, the fact that he had a season in college, his sophomore year, in which he had more than 40 receptions, more than 20 touchdowns, so he has a prolific season on his resume in college, above 50th percentile burst, above 50th percentile agility, so he has adequate athleticism. And you look at the Dallas offense, they are going to be more prolific. They will be passing the ball more, just like the Kansas City Chiefs will be passing the ball more in 2015. The Dallas Cowboys will be throwing the ball more this year. And their line is efficient. The most efficient offensive line in football. Returning all their starters, improving. Tremendous last year. So they have a prolific offense that's going to be more prolific in 2015 with an offensive line that was already the best and only getting better. So every input factor on the Joseph Randall forecast when we're running our predictions is screaming upside and screaming value to the point that you would have to draft him over Travis Kelsey if you were forced to make that decision. In a lot of drafts, I've been fortunate. I've been able to get... Joseph Randall in the fourth round, and then Travis Kelsey has also been available to me in the fifth round. So I've been lucky. Again, last night was the first redraft league that I participated in where I didn't enjoy a Travis Kelsey. I wasn't sipping a Travis Kelsey. Relaxing. I knew it, too. I just knew it. These listener leagues, this Roto Underworld audience, you guys are savvy. <laughs> you really are. <laughs> 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 
Yeah. <laughs> so if you listen to yesterday's show, we have, we're getting a lot of tweets about yesterday's show. Not buzzard tweets. Just a lot of people enjoyed yesterday's show, but there's something interesting. If you listen on Blog Talk Radio, if you listen to the underground sound, there's a different version available of yesterday's show available in stereo or hi-fi. So yesterday's show has an alternative version. The beginning of yesterday's show is actually different on the underground version than it is on the stereo version. So I would highly encourage you, if you're an underground listener, to check out the show on stereo or hi-fi. Both versions are available on iTunes and Stitcher. So just search. Check it out. You might like it. Been getting some good, been getting some interesting feedback. I changed it up a little bit. So it, it, the first three minutes are worth your time if you've only listened to it so the show so far on the underground version. And the underground version is never going away, ever. I just want to make that very clear. Because the underground version essentially is the ambient noise from the show. I speak into this microphone, the hi-fi microphone, and then I have this other microphone off to the side which captures the ambient noise and essentially becomes the underground sound. And there's a lot of you that love the underground sound and you'll never go back. And so what I would encourage you to do is just go listen to yesterday's show in hi-fi, and then yes, you go back to the underground sound. No problem. Because I heard an interview by uh, Mark Marin on the WTF podcast, interviewed Robert Rodriguez. Robert Rodriguez did Spy Kids. He did From Dust Till Dawn. So he's done, he has a whole spectrum of work that he's done. He was first, he came onto the scene with a super indie movie called El Mariachi. And El Mariachi launched him into fame and fortune, essentially. And there's an interesting story behind El Mariachi. He was a student at the time, and he filmed El Mariachi for $7,000 just with a handheld camera and... He did almost no editing. So it's like the underground version. The underground version is unedited. It's just the ambient noise from the show. And then I go ahead and I edit the version that eventually gets uploaded on Hi-Fi. But this El Mariachi movie that Robert Rodriguez filmed and, and published, because he was a student, he, he did almost no editing. It was just one cut. Every scene was a single take, one cut, done, spliced it together, published it. And he did it as a practice run. He didn't think it would ever get picked up by anyone. He assumed no one would watch it. And somehow, someway, someone saw it. It ended up in the Telluride Film Festival, and he became the Robert Rodriguez that we know today. And the interesting nugget from that interview with Mark Marin is, when the movie was picked up after Telluride, and it was about to be distributed, he jumped up and down when he was talking to the production company and the distributor. You know, Miramax, whatever company it was at the time that picked it up and wanted to distribute it. And he said, before you can't do that. No one's seen it yet. You have to let me go back and edit it. There's a bunch of scenes that are all out of focus because I only could do one cut and I'm just a student. You have to let me go back and edit this. Essentially make it the hi-fi version. I don't want the underground version getting out there. I don't want that getting wide distribution. It's embarrassing. And they said, and the people from the distribution company said, oh, 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 no, Mr. Rodriguez. Oh, oh, oh that's impossible. And he said, why? You have to, it's not even going to be that much money. All I need is another $10,000. That's nothing to you people. Let me go finish editing my movie. And they said, oh, 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 Mr. Rodriguez, we don't think you understand. 
the whole reason we love this movie are those parts that look like you didn't edit them. That's what makes the movie great. That's what gives the movie its charm. It has a patina to it. You can't edit those parts. It would ruin the movie. And he was floored. He was just blown away by this. He's like, are you kidding me? You like it because I screwed it up so bad? And they said, yes. And so for that reason, we will never walk away from the underground sound because the underground sound is the screwed up version where I, all my mistakes, where I misspeak and I have to say the same thing again, my mispronunciations. Oh, the, the SoundCloud version's great. Crisp, clean, edited. And a lot of people like that. But we also have the raw version and we're never walking away from that. Now, speaking of things I'm not walking away from, I'm not walking away from this Green Bay story because I think the Green Bay beat reporters are character smearing Jeff Janis. I do. Because I think Janis is circumventing the process by which the beat reporters assign hype. Their job is to decide who the public thinks is good. And they haven't decided Jeff Janis is good yet. Yet Jeff Janis carries himself like this diva superstar and has this massive grassroots following on social media. He has a t-shirt being made and distributed. And the beat reporters don't like that. Part of the story around Jeff Janis is old media versus new media. The musty newspaper men, the hype gatekeepers, are lashing out at Jeff Janis, reporting on every practice rep where Janis doesn't convert a catch, jumping on every negative remark in order to label him inconsistent, and then that makes it to Roto World, and then people don't draft him for their fantasy team because of it. it makes me sick. <laughs> Spit. It's gross. It's just gross what they're doing to him. Jeff Janis went to Saginaw Valley. He hasn't done anything in the NFL yet, but he has all these fans. Because he has great potential. People like me and you see his potential. And we're out there buying his t-shirts now before he scores one regular season touchdown. And the Green Bay beat reporters don't understand it. Because remember, earlier this spring, Mike McCarthy said the light has really come on with this kid. He's taking it to a whole nother level. Remember that? It was like it never happened. Now Jeff Janis has had a disappointing camp disappointing preseason. Really? He just scored a touchdown in preseason. Why is that disappointing? Who's disappointed in touchdowns? How is that inconsistent? This makes no sense. It's total mischaracterization. And then all the buzzards copy and paste this analysis that I'm reading that's coming from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel through Roto World onto my timeline. Yet no one's copying and pasting Devontae Adams's awful college yards per reception or awful 2014 hog rate with the Packers or negative 2014 production premium. No one is copy and pasting that into my timeline. No, 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 no. But I mean, have we learned nothing about how bias infects football analysis and commentary? Every one of you buzzards who has sent me one of those uh-oh tweets, don't tell Manchin, you are gullible prisoners of the moment. I'm like, let's take a step back. What kind of person doesn't like Jeff Janis? Someone who hates athletic excellence? Someone who hates hard work? Someone who hates the small school player who gets recognized for play on the field and not the school he went to? That's what you hate? Jeff Janis is the personification of the American dream. Jeff Janis is America.